0: Hello, and welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast, the place where curiosity is welcomed and no topic is too taboo to tread. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and today I'm sitting here over Skype with the one and only Jeremy Polly, the man behind the Chapel of Rest and the Memento of Mori Museum. How are you doing today, sir? Good, good. Um, so for those listening who may not be familiar with who you are, can you give us a brief introduction?
1: Um. Yeah. Uh, So I'm Jeremy. I run the Chapel of Rest Obscure Antiquities, which is a an online store dedicated primarily to the most obscure things you can find in the world, and anything from human skulls and bones to quack medical equipment to you know even higher end items, depending on what someone's looking for. But if it's out there, I can find it. And then I also run a nonprofit traveling museum for um, educational purposes where I take my personal collection of oddities, for lack of a better term, um, ranging from freak medical specimens to warfare trophies, um, tribal stuff, and I take it all over the country to uh, put on display for free just so that people can learn um, basic things about them that you wouldn't find in a normal classroom.
0: Right on. That's awesome. Uh, When did your interest in, in this stuff first begin?
1: Uh, honestly, I'd say as far back as my young childhood, I can remember specifically watching that old Nickelodeon show called Are You Afraid of the Dark? And there was an episode where just for a brief moment on screen, there was a human hand in a jar and that always stuck with me. It was just something that like I was really drawn to that that side of, of science and, you know, well into adulthood, you know, it slowly came to fruition
0: how did uh, that fascination uh, grow and evolve into you actually, like, getting your hands on Human Remains?
1: Um, it, A big part of it was the internet. Like, lots of research and then visiting museums and, like, just networking. Eventually, I met other collectors and I was like, wow, you know, this is a thing. And uh, it just grew from there. Like, I just kept networking, kept traveling, kept, you know... I'd get phone calls and emails for certain pieces that I might be interested in, and I would travel wherever it, it I had to uh, to pick them up, and it just continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: Um, from an outsider, like, what is the market like for uh, collecting human bones, and where do these bones come from?
1: Um, a lot of it comes from um, – Retired medical specimens, you know, like dentists and doctors and stuff, a lot of times skeletons were used, you know, in their offices or even in universities for teaching. And more often than not over the years, you know, they were replaced with polymer or plastic models and these items ended up in storage. Um, A lot of times, you know, when the budget clears for, you know, that school or what have you, like... The storage units go up for sale. Sometimes doctors retire or pass away, and they have some of this stuff at their, within their, their, their um, estate. Um, so estate sales are a big thing. I do a lot of those. I mean, I've found stuff in barns, you know, where somebody's grandfather passed away, and there was just a bunch of rubbish to go through. And it's it's, it's amazing how this stuff is so forgotten, and that's why I, I try so hard to track down as much as I can, keep what I feel is educational, and then try to pass on the rest to other collectors that you know might want to get their hands in this.
0: Uh, in addition to your interest in collecting human bones, uh, you also collect other oddities. And I actually contacted you because I saw a book for sale that was bound in human flesh, and I found out that that book was bound by yourself. And I was wondering what you can tell us about the practice of, of binding books in human flesh and how you got involved in that and where the materials come from.
1: Um, the, the technical term is anthropodermic bibliopagy. Um, it was very popular back in the Victorian era, especially, you know, uh, they would use the skin of, of prisoners and, you know, executed inmates and things like that. It always fascinated me because there's so few examples out there that, that are authentic. And, um, it just so happened at one point I was, I was clearing out a a lot that I was picking up of some medical specimens from the forties and fifties. And there was a large jar of just tissue. And I just decided to like, you know, I figured like if, if you can tan a hide, it's really no different than any other hide. So I was curious and I tried to tan it. And when it worked, I was like, I'm just going to make my own my own version of it. And I, I think the first one I did was a, an 1800s pocket Bible as an experiment. And then I proceeded to do a few more with the material I had left.
0: That's cool. Is there a, is there like a market for those now? Like the fact that you, you make them, are there, is there like a demand for it? How hard is it to, to get access to all that tissue?
1: Um, it's extreme. I mean, it's probably one of the rarest things you can go out there to find. Um, I kind of accidentally, you know, have built a market for it. I get a lot of requests, you know, that if I ever come across anymore, if I, you know, I, would I take a commission, things like that. Um, which I have a list of those, those clients, but as far as how often something like that can be done, it's, it's really a hit or a miss. That's the first and only time I ever came across such a large portion of, of that kind of material.
0: So um, with the, the, the store that you the online store that you have, uh, what are some of the most like popular items that you sell or the most common things that you come across when you're looking for, for items?
1: Uh, lots of bones, lots of smaller, um, you know, vertebrae, uh, clavicles, a lot of people out there, you know, your basic, you know, your basic Joe and Janes that you really wouldn't expect are in any of this stuff. They just want something cool to put on their shelf. And, you know, so like vertebrae from broken skeletons or any small loose bones from broken skeletons, um, usually they fly. Like I never can keep them around long enough because they're, they're reasonably priced. And, you know, it gives somebody that that little bit of extra that they want. Mm
0: hmm. So what is a uh, what are like the typical price ranges for different parts of human? like what different human bones cost different prices? What do they cost?
1: Um, like loose bones in general, I mean, it the markets vary all over the place with the the people out there that deal in this stuff. I mean, you can be talking anywhere from twenty dollars for you know a, a nice little vertebrae up to two thousand dollars for a, you know a, a flawless medical skull that's been sitting in storage for 50 years
0: um and so you started out as a collector um and and you got a pretty big collection uh when did you decide to make that transition into having a shop and, and then eventually making your museum
1: um, well, I always kind of, I've been a, an entrepreneur for more than 20 years. I've owned several kinds of businesses, uh, and I always kind of like bought and sold on the side cause it was a way of funding the collection without, you know, dipping into my own profit margins on my other businesses. And then just before the pandemic started in 2020, I just kind of was like, why, why would I not just, you know, this already is such a big part of my life. Why would I not just make this what I do? And then shortly thereafter, um, I had always wanted to start a museum, and it just kind of clicked halfway through the year. I'm like, I travel all the time anyway, you know. I, I don't I don't purchase these things for my own, you know, my own uses. I purchase them because I enjoy teaching people, and that's when I launched the museum, and you know, got nonprofit status from my state and all that. And it's been really, really well received. A lot of people love it. I have a lot of different. Um, uh, places that have offered you know space and time for free just to like you know let me do this and let me educate the public which is really fantastic
0: uh, when it comes to like transporting all of these items like because uh, because you said it's a traveling museum do you run into any trouble like going through TSA or going through any kind of like authority and seeing seeing that you possess all of these things?
1: I haven't had any issue to date thankfully (laughs) (laughs) um i won't travel to certain states based on laws um tennessee and georgia in particular um the ownership and sale of human remains is legal but you cannot transport them over state lines so unfortunately i can't take the museum there and louisiana has an outright ban on any kind of ownership of such things so i just steer clear there as well
0: um that's that was kind of a question i had is 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 uh how did you like end up looking up the legality of all of this stuff like are there any legal issues when it comes to the anthropodemic bibli bibliopagy or or um any of the remains
1: anthropodermic (laughs) bibliopagy yeah (laughs) i know it's a tongue (laughs)
0: twister
1: um no because this is where like the law is like you really have to walk a fine line because federally the only law in existence is protection of native American remains. That's just a no go. Do not, you know, do not touch. Mm -hmm. Um, everything else is left up to the States, which all the States other than those I listed, it's legal as long as it is not viable tissue. So it's nothing that can be used for transplant things of that nature, being that everything in my collection are, are, and including the, the tissue I use for these books, they're all antique medical specimens. So they like completely bypass that altogether.
0: That's cool. Um, it's also my understanding that your wife also does has a jewelry company that's also centered around kind of like the death of the macabre. And I was wondering what you could tell us about her work and, and her involvement with the projects that you doing you're doing as well.
1: Um, she's actually working on her launch now. She's been creating feverishly. Um she basically takes uh, you'd be surprised how often I find bits and bobs and boxes that are just broken and damaged and bone that's just shattered. And she's decided to take those things and use them to still appreciate you know their value as as you know these were people. And she you know makes settings out of pure point nine 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 silver, sterling silver. And she uses bone um, cremains, which are ashes from, you know, people that were cremated that have been left somewhere and forgotten. Um, Little scraps of leather that I have left from my books and things of that nature. She's trying to bring the beauty back to these forgotten items.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Do you know when when she's expecting to launch that?
1: Um, Hopefully in the next two months or so. She's got quite a bit of stock built. Um, We're working on a website now. So hopefully within 60 days, everything will be up and running.
0: Uh, what's, uh, do you know the name of the project or do you guys have a name for the project? So once it comes out, people can, can look for it.
1: Yep. The, the company is called eternal allure.
0: Uh, awesome. Awesome. Um, so, and for people who are listening to this right now, who are just, uh, learning about, about what you do and, and this whole, um, kind of like fringe culture that exists, uh, what are some books or documentaries or resources that you recommend people check out who want to learn more?
1: I mean, there's not a whole lot out there about it. I highly recommend um, the show. It's a, it's a show that's no longer aired, but you can, you can find it. It's, it was called oddities and it was all about a, a beautiful shop in New York that this is what they did and it had wonderful education in it. I mean, you could, you could watch any episode and really take something away from it. So I highly recommend that. And we also have, uh, later this year, we'll be filming a documentary for Amazon um, that'll be released later in 2021 where I hope we can really, like, educate people and, you know, show them that it's not all dark and monstrous.
0: Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, do you have a name for that documentary yet, or...?
1: Currently still untitled. Okay, but We're working on that. Um, April, May, whenever with COVID, it's been really hard to try to get in the studio and, and start filming, but it's going to happen.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and I know that you kind of specialize in, in human remains and things like that, but uh, as someone who's kind of involved in the whole oddities and rarities thing, I was wondering what you could tell us kind of like what as an outsider, like what the community's like. I mean, there's other things that people I've gone to oddity shops and I've seen like Fiji mermaids and shrunken heads and things like that. And I was wondering if you had any knowledge about where those things come from or any inf- information on those things.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, Fiji mermaids, they're what we call a gaff, And mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were creations used in the sideshow, you know, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, shrunken heads can both be gaffes or authentic. Authentic ones command a fairly high price and they're fairly rare. but um, you know they're out they're probably one of the top you know shelf items most people dream about. <laughs> uh, as far as everything else, like look, there's lots of animal stuff you know like taxidermy and, and animal skeletons and stuff like that. And my biggest advice to anybody getting into this world, no matter where you fall on that grid, is two things. Number one, know your laws. Always know your laws. There are a lot of laws, especially regarding animals, that, you know, you don't want to get hung up because you took the wrong kind of bird home you saw on the side of the road. You know what I mean? So definitely do your research. Definitely pay attention to your state, especially in federal guidelines. And above all else, respect all this. You know, you know. I, I get that it's fun and it's creepy and it's cool, but like respect goes a long way with what you're working with.
0: Yeah, definitely. Is there any, uh, like, cultural pushback or anything like that that you've gotten from people uh, knowing that there's a community, like, collecting human remains? Because I know there's, like, a whole thing about respecting the dead, and um, I I was wondering if there's any pushback from religious groups or anything like that regarding kind of Um, that hobby.
1: I've seen it online here and there, you know, with certain people. Nothing too, you know, too detrimental or crazy. Me personally, I, I've I've been lucky. I haven't really dealt with any of that. Mm-hmm. I've had people ask questions, but usually the conversation stays in a pretty positive light. So I'm thankful. Um, and as far as where anywhere I've traveled, like the turnout has been good and the, the reception has been positive. So I've been I've been happy.
0: Oh, that's great. In regards to like collecting bones, um, are there certain like? I know that there's there's like skulls and stuff from different corners of the world or different uh periods of time of when that person was alive. Um does that determine the value or interest in 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 uh, collectors?
1: I'd say so, yeah. I mean at the end of the day, there's no real price guide for any of this stuff. You know, so a lot of it is you'll it's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, but you definitely will find You know, uh, for example, you know, an authentic tribal head, head hunted skull from Papua New Guinea is going to command a far higher price than, you know, a medical skull that was used at a university.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have you have your traveling uh, museum. Are there are there uh, I know they're like for horror movies, there's like horror conventions. Are there like oddities conventions that you could recommend people check out?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of oddity conventions that were thriving before, you know, COVID hit. Um, The Oddities and Curiosities Expo is fantastic. They do, I believe, 22 or 23 different locations a year. Um, The Oddities Market is another one that's more on the East Coast, uh, especially Philadelphia. Mm hmm. Um, you know, and there's, there's a couple, there's a lot of pop-up smaller markets that come up every few months. You know, it's just a matter of like kind of getting in the loop and keeping an eye out on your local scene, but they're out there and they seem to do very, very well.
0: That's awesome. Before we come to an end, I was wondering if you have anything that you'd like to plug or any projects you're working on or any tips that you'd like to give our listeners before uh, we come to an end.
1: Um, I mean, feel free to check out my, my museum website, Memento the Memento Mor- Mori Museum, <laughs> another tongue twister, .com, and Uh You can follow me on Facebook. I'm always posting whatever, whatever I'm doing there. And keep an eye out if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber later this year. You know, I'll, I'll post it all, all over my social media. But when that documentary hits, I'd love your support. And, you know, keep on being weird.
0: <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you. I appreciate having our conversation today.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. <laughs>
0: All right, have a good one. You too, buddy. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. If you're interested in checking out my other work, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Cinemas Underbelly, where I analyze and review obscure, obscene, and controversial cinema, as well as check out my label, Putrid Productions. Until next time, this is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club.